0: Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. No one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But He said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, "'Has anyone brought him anything to eat?' Jesus said to them, "'My food is to do the will of him who sent me "'and to accomplish his work. "'Do you not say, "'There are yet four months, "'then comes the harvest? "'Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes "'and see the fields are white for harvest. "'Already the one who reaps is receiving wages "'and gathering fruit for eternal life "'so that the sower and the reaper "'may rejoice together.'" For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him. And he stayed with there two days. Many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, as we come to your word and we consider what it has to say to us this morning, would you open our eyes to receive truth? Would you propel us into further worship in spirit and in truth, Lord? But would you also... Lift up our heads to see the harvest, the great harvest that you are already laboring in. That you are in this very moment, though we're taking a break from our week, you are continuing to work, you are continuing to labor, you are continuing to sow and to reap, Lord. May we, in response to this passage today, look up and see the fields are white for harvest and enter in to what Christ has sent us to, to reap what others have sown, to sow so that others might reap. And we ask for your help now by your Spirit. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the title this morning is The Field and the Harvest. And this is the wrap-up. This is kind of, it's kind of funny, I thought about it this morning that Jesus in John chapter 4 is almost doing the opposite of what we might hope to do on a Sunday morning, right? On Sunday morning, we come, we hear the word, we get a sermon, we worship, and then we go out and we look for opportunities like Jesus had to go to Jacob's well and meet this woman and tell her, hey, if you would ask me, I would give you living water and you would never be thirsty again. And from there to reveal that he himself is the Christ Now we come to this passage, and Jesus is going to have a conversation with his disciples that feels a little bit more like the sermon after the fact. So it's kind of cool. It's like we're doing Christianity in reverse this morning, and that really fits because what he has to tell us through this illustration of the harvest is all completely backwards to what we're used to anyway. So he's talked with her about the spring of living water. He's invited her into worship in spirit and in truth. And he has shown himself to be the Savior of the world. We just sang that song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, that talks about God's faithfulness over all things, over both springtime and harvest. And as we see it in our normal calendar, we are coming to harvest. And there's proof of that right in front of you coming to the harvest time. Uh, It would be very strange, I imagine. And did Josh just leave? I was just going to ask him something, and I can't see him. He he went somewhere. He's, He's doing important things, I know. But I imagine, Josh, it would be weird to be planting something right now, right? People don't, farmers don't plant things in the fall. You harvest things in the fall. And it would be certainly strange to go out to your field in the springtime and say, hey, where's all the corn? Hey, where's all the, whatever I planted before, I, we don't, well, it's not time to plant, it's time to, it's not time to harvest, it's time to plant, it's time to sow, and the reaping time comes in the fall, and for us to try to get those backwards would really mess up the whole, uh, everything that the almanacs have told us for years, right? And yet what Christ is going to explain to his disciples is that within the work of God's harvest as it comes to people, there is both sowing and reaping going on simultaneously. And we're called to enter into both of those kinds of works throughout our Christian life. Seed time and harvest colliding together. Jesus says to this woman, I who speak to you am he, and the harvest begins immediately because what does this woman go and do tell me what does she do yeah she goes right back into the town and back to her everyday life no there is no everyday life for her anymore do we remember who this woman is what what we can surmise about the fact that she came in the heat of the day to get her water when no one else was there what we can gather from what, she's, what Jesus reveals about her, even, is pretty straightforward. You've had five husbands, and the one that you're now with is not your husband. It may, in fact, be somebody else's husband, but certainly isn't yours. This woman is an outcast in every way. From all the religious Samaritans around her would have looked at her and said, God wants nothing to do with this woman. She has failed. She is, she is a, she's basically just taking up space in the world right now. And yet... Christ looks at her, at the well, and doesn't say, oh boy, I hope this conversation's over quick. Boy, my disciples better get back with that food. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about the food coming. He doesn't even, ask her, he doesn't even seem to care so much about the drink that he asked from her, which initiated this whole thing of, of, why would you? You're even talking to me? You are a Jewish man, and I am a Samaritan woman, and you don't even know everything about me? And Jesus says, actually, I do know everything about you. I know more about you than anyone else does, including yourself. So we're going to look at this passage today in three movements. And the first and last one are going to have the same title. But the first one is the fruit in Samaria in verses 27 to 30. Then we'll see the farmers in Samaria in 31 through 38. And then we'll revisit the fruit in Samaria in 39 through 42. So the fruit of Samaria begins with this nobody. And church This is not to say that there are varying degrees of testimony based on one's prestige or lack thereof or or their accomplishments. The fact is that if you are a part of the church, God is calling you to enter the harvest work that he is doing right now. The Samaritan woman didn't say, you know, i got to make sure that I become a member of a church first. We like church membership. Church membership is a good thing. She also didn't say, "I'm going to go home and really study my Torah a lot more, so that that's a good thing to do, too. But was there anything between the words, "I who speak to you am He," and her leaving her water pot and saying to whoever shows up around her, "Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Was there anything in between there? No. You become, J.C. Ryle actually says of her, in the day of her conversion, she became a missionary. The same day. I mean, it's, it's verses apart in what we see in Scripture here. Look at it again. Verse 26, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled. They asked some questions. Verse 28, the next thing we learn about the woman is she leaves her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. She apparently takes no moment to stop and think about how she might best present her case. She doesn't take a moment to say, it might be really awkward if I go around and start telling people, talking about, even in slight reference to the fact that I've had five husbands. Because when she would walk up to the people in her town and say this line, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did, they're all looking at her going, well, we know something of everything you ever did. Why are you even talking to me? This is shocking. This is is a radical difference from who she was when she came to the well. Everything has changed. And what was the thing that happened in the middle? An encounter with Jesus. And he calls her as the fruit of Samaria to enter in the harvest. But does he even give her instructions? Now listen, Samaritan woman, here's here's your script. Take this with you. Head back into town. No, it was the natural reaction. The news, the good news of Christ, hit her so that she could not help but immediately testify. So what is our problem with this? Just as a side note, our problem with not testifying, our problem with not focusing on evangelism, it's less about reading the right books. It's less about praying for hours and hours until your heart's right. It's less about those kind of things. And it is all about an encounter with the Lord of the harvest the one who is already doing that work right now, that peculiar work of both sowing and reaping. And he comes to people like the Samaritan woman because she had nothing to offer. And she could quickly realize that. And the fact is, is that as Christ is proclaimed to any kind of person, he is always proclaimed to people who have nothing to offer. The fruit in Samaria, the fruit in Lima, the fruit in your home, the fruit in your workplace, is going to be in the life of someone who recognizes, I have very little, no, I don't just have very little, I have nothing to offer God by way of righteousness. And the Jesus Storybook Bible, a very masterful theological piece, tells us this in regards to when Jesus was calling his disciples Sally Lloyd-Jones wrote, the people God uses don't have to know a lot of things or have a lot of things. They just need to need him a lot. Do you need Jesus a lot? Do you realize how much you need him? If so, you qualify. If you hear this question of needing Christ and say, yeah, I mean, I can't get into heaven on my own, but everything else, ugh. Samaritan woman left her water jar. That's the whole reason she went all the way over to the well. And when Jesus said, Hey, I can give you living water and you never be thirsty again, you never have to come here to draw again. And she says, Yeah, I'm in. I don't, I, yeah, I mean, give me that living water. I don't want to keep coming back here. She leaves her water pot behind and, in fact, leaves the life that she knew behind as well. Have you left the life that you knew before Christ behind? In the day of her conversion, she became a missionary. Her testimony, I want you to think about these words, because again, we're talking about people who just simply need Jesus a lot. So her testimony comes out, and I think these words are helpful as we think about it. It is revelatory. Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. When you share the gospel with somebody, do you ever talk about your sin? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe that's something we don't really care to you know, explain to every single person that we meet. Well, when I was in high school, and well, and and yeah, this isn't glorying in how terrible a person might have been before they knew Christ, and now suddenly they're, they're so different. And, you know, you've heard those testimonies where people come up, and for 45 minutes, they talk about how terrible of a person they were, and then the last five minutes is, and then Jesus saved me, and then I'm good. That's not what this woman's doing. And she really doesn't need to, because people know who she is. Nevertheless, it is revelatory. Secondly, it is simple. Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. She even mentioned the name of Jesus. Not off the bat with this line. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Could he be the Christ? The Messiah? The one we're waiting for? The Savior of the whole world? Her testimony is simple. It is authentic. Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. And this is coming from a woman who knows that as she goes into town, everyone looks at her and knows exactly what she's about. And She just says, I have nothing to hide. I have nothing to worry about. And Friends, there's nothing that we have to hide either. This is not, again, this is not a call for us to glory in and gloat over our terrible sin. But the fact remains that there is nothing that has happened in your life, nothing that you have done on your own that Christ cannot redeem. And if he has redeemed you in it... What would you hold back from an effective evangelistic encounter? Would you hold back something of your life and what the man who gave his life for you has done? Her testimony is revelatory, it is simple, it is authentic, and it is inquisitive because there's a question at the end, right? Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? She has obviously already made that decision, hasn't she? Could this be the Christ? You don't hear her going, hmm, I wonder, maybe. This is not the testimony. The testimony is, could you see that he is the Christ? Is it plain to you that he is the Christ? He told me all that I ever did, and I left my water pot. I didn't even do what I went out there to do in the first place because my life has been turned upside down because I've entered the harvest of Christ's people And so I have a testimony that is revelatory, that is simple, that is authentic and inquisitive, and so do you. When we do baptisms, we encourage people to share their testimony before they get baptized, right? And and we have time where we can rightly sit down and say, hey, on a note card, I'm going to make sure I hit all the high points. That's really great. This is a good exercise to do. But the fact is, is that everyone who comes up to get baptized, everyone who testifies about who Jesus is and who they are now, all have the same testimony. Come and see this man. This, this, this phrase, come and see, we've seen multiple times already, haven't we? This is Jesus' very words in calling the disciples. And then another disciple picks up the same phrase when, uh, when uh, Philip goes to Nathaniel and he says, We found the Messiah. It's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he goes, Anything good come out of Nazareth? Come and see. Your testimony is not, let me lay all this information on you so that you can make a mental ascent to my religious worldview. It is, come and see Christ. I'm bringing you to him. I'm bringing him to you. But you must also make this response. You must come and see who he is. And this testimony clearly has power because look at verse 30. They went out of the town and were coming to Jesus. Jesus explains in verse 38 what's going on. I sent you, the disciples, to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. This is the labor that this Samaritan woman enters into immediately. From the point of her conversion, she becomes a missionary. And the fact is, is that there is not a soul in the church from then until today, nor will there ever be, who does not become a missionary by becoming converted. And that is because what we see in Jesus' interaction with this woman is everyday activity, everyday activity overlapping with eternal action. That is, Christ comes for a glass of water, and before, he, before she knows it, <laughs> this woman is his missionary. This woman is his testifier, She's going around saying to everyone she possibly can. Have you seen The Chosen yet? I know I've bugged you about it for a while. The second season has the follow-up to this conversion and it begins in Samaria, and this woman is still going around, and people are responding to her saying, yes, yes, we know. He's a man who told you everything you ever did. She can't shut up. So why is it that we're so different? Why is it that I'm so different? Why is it that I can't seem to have this kind of fire that says, hey, I'm going to drop everything I'm doing and just go start telling people about Jesus? And how should I feel about the fact that I have that lack in my life? Well, Jesus explains to his disciples what's going on with the work he's doing and how that is evident in the fruit of Samaria. So let's consider now the farmers in Samaria. Before doing that, what we see in this this illustration that Christ uses of the harvest is Most likely, scholars think this is an allusion all the way back to the book of Amos. And in Amos chapter 9, if you want to look at it, pretty cool passage. We did our our minor prophet study back um, not too long ago. This is Amos chapter 9 and verse 13. The prophet says towards the end of his prophecy, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him who sows the seed. It's a very powerful image right so it would be like josh going out in the springtime planting everything and somebody coming up right behind him ready to reap everything he's just planted and josh i imagine you would look around you would look back and be like what are you doing this is re- you know nothing about farming at all do you <laughs> right? this is silly but that's that's the thing that christ is doing with this with this illustration is he's reversing everything so when he says In our passage in John chapter 4, do you not say there are four months, then comes the harvest in verse 35? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. See, the fields are white for harvest. It's giving a contrast here. You function like this. You plant in the spring and you harvest in the fall. I'm telling you that my harvest is. Both of those things are happening simultaneously such that just like Amos prophesied of the future kingdom of God, where there is such great prosperity and the goodness of God is returned to his people such that even the, the reaper has overtaken the sower and said, Hey, hurry up, dude. We, we got a lot to work here, Work on here. It doesn't work in our minds. That's, that's backwards. It, Jesus says, Yes, Exactly. It is absolutely backwards. It is absolutely a paradox. And would we not expect something like this paradox from the one who is the God-man, fully God and fully man, simultaneously? He himself being the sower and the reaper, sowing into a conversation and reaping a witness. Reaping an apostle in the sense of going forth with a message. And here's our problem. Here's our problem as the farmers in this scenario. We're not in Samaria. We're in Lima. We're in Northwest Ohio. We're in our jobs. We're in our homes. We're in interacting with other people. And our problem is this very phrase that Jesus has said. Do you not say there are yet four months? Then comes the harvest. Look, the fields are white for harvest. He is essentially saying that just as a farmer rightly decides the year of activity you are deciding your activity your everyday activity based on how things work in your own experience and christ comes and says it's all different the fields are white for harvest now and this is our problem we're not looking jesus says look i tell you lift up your eyes This is clearly the message the disciples need when they show up. They don't ask him about why he's talking to the woman, perhaps as a sign of trust, or maybe they're just concerned about, well, what is he going to say? This is kind of awkward. And they just say, Rabbi, eat. And Jesus says, hey, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. And you can kind of imagine at least one of the disciples kind of rolling his eyes a little bit and being like, I know you have to eat, Jesus. You're getting all spiritual on us again. Jesus doesn't waste a moment, does he? He never has a meaningless conversation. I love meaningless conversations. I love shooting the breeze and talking about the weather. Jesus never does that. He never is worried about the comfort level of the person he's speaking to. Clearly, he goes to the woman of Samaria and says, hey, you've had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. He has no problem breaking through uncomfortable barriers. But you see, his purpose is never to destroy and to, to just shame and bring that person down, but in fact, to bring them into the harvest of what he's doing. So he says to his disciples, look, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And you see in that verse so clearly these these third person singular pronouns, uh, to do his will, to accomplish his work. Jesus did not come for his own plans. His own plans were to do whatever his father told him to do. And here we are with our notes and our calendars, and our reminders on our phones, making our plans day by day by day. And those plans are like weeds in the harvest that choke out the growth of what Christ wants to do in our lives. Now, can we undo the work of Christ? No, of course not. But we could be potentially working in that part of the field that we would call our life and just experience nothing but weeds, and, and these weeds, sometimes they're, they're disguised and, 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 I mean, there are good things that we're supposed to be doing. You should go to work tomorrow, okay? Don't take this and say, I'm going to drop my job like that woman's water pot and I'm going to start evangel. I mean, if God tells you to do that, you better do it. But I'm not telling you to do that. Because I believe that the place that you work tomorrow is the place where you're supposed to be sowing and where you're supposed to be reaping. You can do that. Wherever you are right now. But it's a question of whether we are actually sowing and reaping the work and will of our Father in heaven or our own work, our own will. If you have a conversation with another Christian about evangelism that might likely go like this, oh yeah, I just I don't have time, or I'm I'm really I, I'm lacking confidence in that. I don't know what I would say. The list of things that we say are essentially what Jesus is telling his disciples here. You say there's four months until the harvest. You say I can't do that evangelistic outreach moment right now because I, it's four weeks and four months till the harvest. I'm not ready yet because things aren't where they ought to be. I need to get everything in place how I would like it to be. Did you know that God has everything in place in your life as He likes it to be right now? Because He could change it in an instant if He wanted to, but He hasn't. He's changing you, He's changing you slowly throughout time, such that when you do see him face-to-face, you will be like him, right? You will be restored and, and perfected in Christ. The character, the image of who Jesus is. But right now, we work so hard on our own fields, on our own harvests, and we miss the whole purpose of why we're here. Again, this might be you turning into John Wesley and just getting on a horse and traveling across the country. But it also, and most likely, is you realizing that God has placed you where you are today. God is going to place you where you will be tomorrow on purpose to take these everyday activities and engage in eternal action. And Jesus says this, the, the harvest, the fields are white for harvest. He's probably alluding to verse 30 when the, when the disciples are here, they're having this conversation and he can see the people of Samaria coming out to him as like just a big white cloud of a bunch of people, you know, robed together, walking towards him. And he says, look at this. And I have to say, church, and I have to say to myself, has anything changed? Is the harvest less today than it was before? What do you think? Are there mo- are there, is there more work to do? Is there less work to do? Is there more sowing? Is there more reaping? Is there neither of each? Is it, is it the fact that what, uh, what I've been convicted about is that 2020 turned into a throwaway year, and I even joke about it repeatedly, that like that year just didn't even happen. We just hit reset on 2021. There was still sowing and reaping going on. We're called to be a part of it. We need to recognize, of course, that this work that we're doing in the field is a marathon and not a sprint, Right? We're not supposed to simply say, hey, Jesus can come back any minute, so I'm going to, and again, if he calls you to go door to door, then go ahead and do it. But it's not necessarily that that's what we're called to do. We're not supposed to just simply sprint and run out of energy and then run out of zeal and run out of ability to testify anymore because we've overexerted ourselves, but but to, in fact, set a good marathon pace such that we will be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us, that we will be ready and looking For those opportunities. I hit a point not too long ago, and I'm sure I've said this already, but I'll say it again. I was struck by the fact that I so often pray for opportunities to share Christ. And I was so wrong in my verbiage. My problem was I wasn't looking for them. It was about me. It wasn't as if I was like, you know, God, I just don't think you're giving me any chances to share the gospel. But in fact, it was me saying, hey, there's four months until the harvest. Let me. Get this thing done. Let me get this project at my house. Let me get uh, this, this uh, whatever thing might be in my line of sight. that I'm not looking up at this paradox that everyday activities are overlapping eternal action. And that eternal action that we see going behind our everyday activities is, is in fact, as God is working, it is overtaking the everyday activities. The reaper is overtaking the sower is happening now. The one, verse 36, Jesus says, the one who is reaping is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. It's going on right now. Fruit for eternal life. Who's that? It's the Samaritan woman. She has eternal life now. Living water bubbling up inside of her and welling over to eternal life. And we say there are four months till the harvest. And the Holy Spirit, I believe, asks us, is Christ not worthy of a wider view of his work? Not worthy of us saying, hey, in fact, in the midst of this thing that I see as in my way, that I need to take care of this before I can be used by God? Is the Holy Spirit not saying that Christ is worthy of, in the midst of this trial, me looking for the harvest, me sowing and reaping and working alongside Christ? What happens when you stop testifying to someone and give up on them? What happens when you say, I just, I can't respond to that text, I can't meet with that person, and you know, again, we have good and right reasons for canceling things and saying no to some things and yes to other things, but there's so often the reality that we say no to so many things that God is wanting us to say yes to. So what happens when we stop, when we've perhaps even invested in a person's life and we just say, like I have many times in my sinful heart, this isn't going anywhere. Maybe somebody else will reap what I've sown because I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere with that. Now, you can't necessarily see the effects, the positive effects of your testimony in somebody's life continually, right? You might have those little glimpses and they're those things that, that carry you on in that conversation with a relative or with a neighbor and, and you notice that, hey, they want to talk about spiritual things even. And maybe more beyond that, they want to talk about Jesus, But so often we get impatient. We say, oh, I'm I'm done with that person. It's not going anywhere. We can't always see the positive, but we most certainly will see the lack of our testimony in a person's life as we engage with them. We need to continue. We need to be those who might look out in the garden and say, hey, wow, there's a bud shooting up out of the garden. I love that. In springtime, Sarah does all the, the gardening, so I'm not boasting here. I I just love that moment, particularly with our sunflowers, when they start to come up out of the ground, and you know there's promise, and there's growth, there's things happening. And, And those sunflowers, you know, there's one that gets to the three feet mark, while the other one's at one and a half feet. You know, it's just, there's such a difference in there, but it is growth. Our constant refrain, yet four months, and our lack for looking, looking at what Christ is calling us to are not as simple as just taking a situation in life and saying, well, this is something I need to deal with before I get to the harvest, but it is more complicated than that. How is this a part of the harvest? We look for other things. We're tempted, like the disciples, to dismiss whatever Jesus was doing and say, Rabbi, I brought you a sandwich. Eat. It's time to eat right now. While simultaneously life and death situations are happening. And this is what Christ has done. He's come to respond to this disciple's exhortation with a louder voice, the loud of his Father. He calls us out of our will and work to join him by doing the will and work of his Father. And this is what he's done at the cross. He's enabled us to do so. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So just as the woman left her water pot satisfied with the spring of living water in her heart. So the direction of Christ, the resolve of Christ, his all-consuming passion and joy was ever in the work of his Father, not in his own. John 6, verses 38 through 40, he says, and this is jumping ahead, of course, but this is really great. He explains himself, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day, just as he was raised up on the third day. Verse 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. What is the harvest of what Christ has done at the cross? He's done the will of his Father, and the harvest is the result of that will, the result of that work. He is going to lose nothing of who he came to save. He is going to raise it up on the last day, because he, in dying on the cross, gives that exchange of his life for ours, and the result of that, the evidence of it, is this living water springing up in, in our hearts to eternal life, to that extent, He will not lose anything. He will raise up all of his harvest. Everyone who looks and believes in Christ will have eternal life. And he will raise them up on the last day. See, Christ has come for a great harvest, and he's worthy of a great harvest. And it is very easy for us in our Christian lives to say, yeah, but I'm not going to necessarily be part of the great harvest. There might be a little bit of harvest here or there. Church, the reason that you're here right now is to be a part of the great harvest. You will not see all of that great harvest, and that is okay. Because seeing that great harvest and seeing the extent of it is not required in order to participate in it. What is required is faith in Christ that results in new life, that that his work on the cross was to pay the penalty that you deserve to pay. And that when Jesus says to this woman, I who speak to you am he, and has such a transformative work on this woman's life who hasn't heard anything of the cross, hasn't heard anything of justification by faith, and yet we have this whole story, the full testimony of God in Christ, the result is for us to enter the harvest, joyfully. Because again, Jesus says, Verse 36, the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. It's going on right now. Who's the one who's reaping? Who is the one receiving wages? It's Jesus. He is the one who is working. We are entering into his work. We are the sidekick in this. It is not as though Jesus says, hey, I want to see what you can come up with. Interview for the job. Get out on the floor. Do the work. No, he's saying Come and enter into what I am already doing and be a part of this. Be used by me. Follow just as I came to do my father's will. You come and do my father's will. You come and be a part of what's going on here. So he's come for a great harvest. He is worthy of that great harvest. And he has said it and he will have it. And we have blessed assurance that Jesus is ours and that he, this experience of working in the in the farm in the farming job that he has for us is just a foretaste of glory divine. The Samaritans call him in verse 42 the savior of the whole world, recognizing that it is not about being a Samaritan, it's not about being a Jew, recognizing more importantly, Jesus' words to the woman, salvation is from the Jews. It's not just for the Jews, it is from the Jews. He is the one who is Jewish. That's what he's talking about. I came here to bring salvation for anyone who will believe. And it's guaranteed because of his serious work. We need to repent of our own time frame and rejoice and join in with his. How do we do that? How do we find all we have in him today and enter that harvest with zeal is what he wants us to do like that Samaritan woman. He says in verses 36 through 38 the one who reaps is, is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. We're not meant to do this on our own, church. You are not simply on a solo Christian mission by yourself to reap alone, to reap in your own strength. One of the great proofs and messages to you about your dependence on the Holy Spirit is the fact that you are not in church today by yourself. And it's one of the great things that we lost when we started doing church at home. Because we could sit on our couches by ourselves and say, okay, i got to go do whatever it was that I just heard. And, And naturally, our inclination is to imagine that we're doing this on our own power. That is not what Christ has called us to. What he has called us to is to reap that for which we have not labored. To recognize that others have labored and we are entering into their labor. Just as Jesus... Obviously, is doing this here. He's like, "Hey, I labored. I did the conversation with this woman. And now she is the fruit of all this great work, of all these these great words." We're called to partake in that by proclaiming the word of Christ. Paul says in Galatians six nine, "Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up." Do it together. Do it with endurance. Be prepared can't necessarily bring your friend to work every day to help you witness to somebody, but you can certainly pray with them. You can certainly send them a text message and say, hey, I have this opportunity to share the gospel today. Wouldn't that be a weird text message to show up on your phone? I have an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody today. Would you pray with me? Who here would say no to that? Who here would say, no? I mean, we would at least even say, yeah, I'll pray with you, and then maybe stop for a second and be like, Lord, please help them, and then get right back to what we're doing. But what if that was our primary focus of joining into the harvest of what God is actually doing? Of seeing our everyday activity colliding with eternal action. J.C. Ryle says, let us work on unmoved. Whatever men may say or think, we are walking in the steps of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not doing this alone. We're here together and we are in Christ together. He is working in and through us because he is the vine and we are the branches. We can do nothing apart from him. So, three kinds of relationships that you need to have. This is our closing. You need to have three kinds of relationships in order to let your everyday activity collide with eternal action. And you already have these relationships, most likely. You probably have at least two of them, if not all three of them. But first, you need to have a sowing relationship. That is an evangelistic effort. Somebody that you know in your life that you're just saying, this person needs Christ. I know that I have Christ And I have that message for him. I have Christ, my hope in life and death that I can share with this person. Secondly, you ought to have a reaping relationship of some kind. That is discipling. That is to have the discipline of discipling someone else. This is entering into the harvest of what Christ is doing in his church right now. Who is it that you are pouring into to help them on their Christian walk? And then lastly, as it makes most sense to, to say we ought to have a growing relationship. Somebody who is pouring into us. Who is discipling you? What has he provided for us for this great harvest? This passage has shown us that he's provided fulfilling food. That is that Jesus was able to ignore the sandwich that the disciples handed to him because he had food to eat that they didn't know about. So I'm satisfied in just simply doing what my father has told me to do. Yeah, I'll take the sandwich, that's fine, but that's not my main focus. He's given us fulfilling food, the will and the work of God. He's made it clear to us. And how many times do we as believers say, what is God's will for my life? Why don't you start with, Entering the work and the will of God to reap a harvest of believers. Secondly, he's given us fellow farmers to enter into that labor together in verse 38, that we might rejoice together. And then lastly, he, the faithful founder, the true Lord of the harvest, is with us. He has been provided. Verse 37, here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. There's something greatly sovereign about this verse that reminds us that Christ has declared that you ought to sow and you ought to reap. And if he says something, it's going to happen. He is faithful. His faithfulness is great. And we see that in the last section, that the, many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony But then beyond that, he says, now we don't only just believe because of what you said, but we've heard for ourselves, and we know that he is the Savior of the world. Have you ever shared the gospel with somebody and seen the light turn on and seen that living water overflow in their lives to where they say, wow, he is the Savior of the world. He is the Christ. He is the one I've been looking for my whole life, everything that I need in him alone. Carson calls this overlap of sowing and reaping that we see in Samaria, a foretaste of the eschatological blessings to come. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Eschatological just being end things. Just being that time when we will see Christ face to face and we will be able to look to each other and say, he's real. He's right there. Just like we said. I mean, I always believed it. Or I, I wanted to always believe it. There were times I doubted. There, No doubt anymore. Eschatological blessing to rejoice together. So, do you have a testimony that is revelatory, that is simple, authentic, and inquisitive? Revelatory, it reveals something about who Christ is and who you are. Simple, it's not a grand speech. It's you saying, Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Authentic, you're not trying to sell something, you're trying to offer something, and inquisitive. Could this be the Christ? Are you ready to drop your timeline? There are 4 months until the harvest. Slow down, God. I have my own timeline to work with here. Are you willing to drop that and embrace that the sowers are overtaking the the reapers are overtaking the sowers in the fields? Will you enter the work of others and not live your life as a solo Christian anymore? Will you join in with other sowers and reapers? Will you make it a point in your life to not simply say I'll see you on Sunday, but I'll see you Monday. I'll see you Tuesday. Wednesday, or whenever I have an opening, right? Will you think about those relationships that you have the sowing, the reaping, and the growing relationships and live out this harvest together? And lastly, if the answer to no, to all those questions is no, then is Christ truly your hope in life and in death in all things? Is Christ your hope, or are you putting your hope somewhere else? Are you putting your hope in a different harvest? something that you can see, taste, and feel, and smell, and all things that we experience here? Or are you willing to dive deeper into the goodness of what Christ is doing? Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, thank you this morning that what we have seen in your word is not a call to create something on our own, to use our own energies, our own wisdom, our own insights, but to just simply recognize that The place that you have us right now is, in fact, a spiritual field that is ready for harvest. There are places to sow and there are places to reap. There are people that we know who need to have the truth of the gospel told to them, perhaps for the first time, or maybe for the millionth time, or maybe for the three millionth time, before that light finally turns on. And they say, with John Wesley, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I was made new. His word came to me like the Samaritan woman when Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. Lord, remind us of our testimony. Remind us of the harvest in our hearts. Remind us of the food that you've granted to us, that that to any other person who does not know Christ, to to receive it and just say, to do my Father's will. This is not food. Food is to do my will. Would you reveal to us the nourishment nourishment that we have in doing your will and not our own, that Christ might be magnified and receive all that he is worthy of. Well, oh, thank you for it by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.